you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. This is Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the Chris Voss Show. Holy crap, I kind of hit a higher note there, man. What's going on? I went on Michael Jackson there. Uh, welcome to the big show, my family and friends. As always, the Chris Voss Show is the family that loves you. Uh, all of you. We love all of you. We accept you all. You are you are one with us. You are part of the Chris Voss family the Chris Voss show family don't don't you're not part of the Chris Voss family the uh, attorney said I can't say that because otherwise you you you're gonna write me a one in my will damn it and uh there's a, I, my huskies get everything in the will that's just how it's working people so uh no you don't get the house and the car and uh I don't know five five trillion dollars in debt <laughs> credit card debt or something I don't know uh but you are part of the Chris Voss show family and uh, you can never be removed from that family. There's much love there, and uh, you're a part of it. So if you don't have a family, if your family doesn't love you because they've seen you lately, you know, we still love you. As long as you're not evil. You can't be, like, evil. You can't be, like, some guy who's, like, throwing over countries and, you know, bombing people or anything, you know, or be making other people miserable. Although, I don't know, maybe you do that, too, and we'll still love you. It depends. We'll just say that, okay? So, you know, if you have any questions, just write the show and say, hey, um, I'm Hitler. Uh, am I evil? We'll be like, yeah, sorry, you're not part of the Chris Voss Show family. But, uh, you know, if you're just someone who, uh, I don't know, you're just mildly annoying, we'll probably be okay with that. Anyway, I don't know why that's a big deal, but it sounded funny in my head, and it wasn't. So welcome to the show, my family and friends. Uh, go to goodreads.com, youtube.com, linkedin.com, subscribe to being LinkedIn, a newsletter, the 130,000 group on LinkedIn, and we're starting to make traction and be cool on TikTok, even though we're old and we smell like dust the young kids tell us uh so go to chris foss one on tiktok and the chris foss show podcast on tiktok as well uh we're gonna be talking business business leads uh and uh we have an author of an amazing book that's out called are your leads killing your business uh and he gives you the framework that you can use to uh double your business your pipeline your revenues uh especially if you're in the SaaS tech and b2b services so we'll be talking to him today about his amazing book and uh, you're going to learn a lot and uh, maybe uh some of you can make more money or learn to make more money those of you who are entrepreneurs out there or want to be entrepreneurs or people in the SaaS business as well SaaS business is really huge we'll get into what that means here in a bit he's the author of the newest book that just came out april 6 2023 Mark Osborne joins us on the show today, and his book you can find wherever fine books are sold. Stay away with his alleyway bookstores. Uh, are your leads killing your business? A post-COVID framework proven to attract, accelerate, and activate the right clients to double your pipeline and revenues in 90 days for SaaS tech 
B2B services firms. Uh, he joins us on the show, and we'll be talking about his stuff. But he's got an amazing bio. I think you're going to be very impressed by it. And uh, him, when he finally gets around to coming on the show, because I'm going to read his bio first. See? See how we do things on the show? Anyway, he was named by Ad Age Magazine as a marketing technology trailblazer in 2017 and author of the number one best-selling B2B marketing book on Amazon this year. Uh, Mark has over two decades of experience experience creating revenue system for SaaS technology and B2B services firms. He's built marketing solutions for many of the Fortune 500 and for successful business partnerships for multiple companies with Meta, Google, and other platforms. He has an MBA from the University of SoCal, and he, he focused on marketing and participating in the startup incubator at the School Center for Entrepreneurial Studies. He works as a fractional CMO, just a fraction. So we'll get into what that means for B2B firms, guiding CEOs and sales leaders with systems and strategies they need to adapt to today's challenging B2B landscape and achieve predictable business success. And when he's not talking about marketing sales and appearing on great podcasts like ours or the greatest podcasts like ours, uh, he enjoys creating tiki drinks in his home bar and sport fishing for Marlin, Tuna, and Dorado. No sharks? Welcome to the show. How are you, Mark? I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks so much for having me. There you go. No sharks. No sharks. Uh, you know, sharks are uh, sharks are part of the ecosystem, so you certainly bump into them. Yeah. Uh, but you don't know, don't typically target those as a sport fish. There you go. I try not to bump into them either, especially. In the <laughs> <water>. <laughs> so, Mark, give us your dot com so people can find you on the interwebs. Sure, modernrevenuestrategies.com. Uh, and in fact, uh, for all of your listeners today that are interested in the book, if you add a forward slash free download, uh, the, the book is available there for your listeners exclusively for free. Uh, and they'll also get uh, bonus calculators, templates to sort of put a lot of the practices from the book into play, uh, as well as they'll get a follow-up email with some bonus videos and, and some other free trainings as well. There you go. So what motivated you to write this book? Yeah, so it, it's funny. I, I've been working in this space for you know 20 years, and, and there's been a lot of sort of long-term trends that were taking place. And then when the COVID lockdowns happened, mm -hmm. um, a lot of companies just kind of put everything on pause. Uh, but in fact, trends that were already happening sort of accelerated by, you know, people say by 10 years and 10 months. Uh, I think McKinsey uh, consultant sort of made that statement. And it, and then so a lot of the companies just sort of put things on pause when they came back to it, you know, a year and a half later, they were 10 years behind their competitors that had adapted to these sort of changing uh, sort of trends in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that really sort of brought a sharp focus on the real difference between those businesses that are doing things right uh, and those that aren't. And so I wanted to kind of put together a framework that would uh, make it easier for businesses to adapt. And then for uh, businesses that are at an earlier stage in their pr process to do it right from the beginning. Uh, and it, it's all about, you know, really systems uh, and creating mm -hmm. systems that work instead of chasing growth hacks or, you know, trying to game the system, you know, game the algorithm, uh, as, as a lot of people are doing. You know, I, I've worked in, you know, marketing and technology and data for so long, as you mentioned, you know, advertising age named me a trailblazer. Uh, so I have all of the sort of tips and tricks and, and hacks uh, under my belt. But what I have seen is it's really creating systems uh, that mm -hmm. drive success uh, and building systems like that will also really set you free. Uh, from sort of the, the worry of, well, 
what, what's going to be the next hack that's going to you know drive growth for my business so you can have a system that you work there you go and would you say that's a good 30 foot uh 30, overview of the book yeah for sure so there you, go. you know it it's uh it starts with you know kind of an overview of what's really changed in the marketplace mm-hmm. uh and and really sort of highlighting you know the things that uh that we've seen and what those long-term trends are trends mm-hmm. around businesses using more technology, less face-to-face interaction, uh, businesses taking longer to make decisions, businesses having uh, even more complex buying committees with even more people on there as they make decisions around SaaS tech and B2B services. And then what uh, companies can do to adapt to that, which is around sort of creating clarity on, you know, what your goals and objectives are till I call it, you know, sort of put it through a growth mindset of tilling the right soil and then planting the right seeds and then nurturing those seeds as they grow, hacking out the weeds to really sort of optimize those things that are going to uh, make an impact. And then, you know, re- really harvesting and replanting to maximize mm-hmm. your success and grow as you go forward. There you go. I'm going to tease out some things here because there's some funny stories coming up. Uh, we're going to okay. tease out, but uh, we'll, we're going to talk about the time you burned a customer's business down. You baked a hundred cakes, uh, but let's talk about your origin story. Did that start with John Mayer, the guitarist uh, and singer? A and little bit. Got into marketing, but give us give us your origin story so people sure. can get to me a little so, better. You know, in, in the for those of you who were old like me, uh, in the early days what? of the internet, you might remember that. Uh, there were Usenet and BBS billboards because you couldn't get onto the internet every day. In fact, maybe once a week you had access to the internet. So you'd go to like a billboard and you'd, you'd post a note and your your username was your email address. There's no such thing as spam. Didn't exist yeah. yet. Uh, and so people would go on and they would trade bootleg concert tapes from bands that they had seen that they had the concert tape. Well, I was managing bands at the time, playing in some bands. Um, and so I found these groups and then I realized, well, if you've got Dave Matthews at, in Birmingham, you like bands that sound like Dave Matthews and you live somewhere near Birmingham. So I started building databases of people that were fans of these different genres oh. uh, that lived in different areas. And then when one of my bands you know, went to that area that sounded like Dave Matthews, I'd send them all an email. I was selling out uh, concerts for unknown bands, which led to a job at a record label, led to a, led to a job at a radio station, uh, and, and really sort of the rest is history. That's how I got into marketing. But along the way, I had the extreme prev- uh, privilege of you know, sort of meeting John Mayer and, and played a, a few shows with him and uh, the, the guys in the Zach Brown band and, and a number of other folks that are out there um, you know, really doing great work today. That's funny. I, I had the same sort of journey. I mean, it didn't get me into marketing, but uh, I I was a Rush. I was a Rush fan, and so I would buy okay. like collectibles of Rush, and you would find people selling them. So I would create groups of Rush stuff. Okay. And, you know, so I would buy collectibles, and I buy two of everything, and I keep one for me, and then I'd sell the other, usually for right. double or triple what I'd buy it for. Uh, and I use, I think this is a gold mine thing, but yeah, we do those other things. And I actually said to my business partner at the time, I'm like, you know, these auctions, cause we, you know, you'd run an auction, right? And, uh, I'm like, these auctions are amazing. We should do a thing where we scale this to something much larger. <laughs> and within two years, eBay came out. You so bet. we like, yeah. <laughs> for eBay. but those are, those are fun times back then. It was wild, man. I, I you yeah, run auctions. It was definitely and, wild. The wild west of the internet. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So this leads you into marketing, and then where do you go from there? You you start working for some people or working for yourself? Yeah, so, you know, I actually had a 
a sort of stable career in, in broadcast and, and was running a top 10 station in a top 10 market. But the thing that got me really passionate about marketing to begin with was sort of creating these, you know, one-to-one -one relationships at scale and using data and technology uh, to understand customers. I read uh, Seth Godin's Permission Marketing mm. in like, you know, 99. And, and, you know, he talks all about sort of this sort of customization at scale. And that's mm -hmm. what uh, had gotten me excited. And so I moved from broadcast media uh, into the digital uh, domain where you could do so much more of this, you know, sort of customization at scale. Did my MBA focused on analytics, uh, worked for uh, a company that put some of the very first ads on uh, Instagram uh, as part of a, as, as a partner with Facebook. And we were doing, you know, some things where we were, you know, using all of the data on uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram to make predictive models using machine learning on whether or not someone would, you know, respond to an ad. So we were the first people to sort of game that algorithm uh, on uh, on Facebook and Instagram to you know, try to get more results. But as I got deeper and deeper into sort of these technology things and worked with, you know, larger and larger brands, uh, I realized that it was all of that sort of minutia wasn't where the results came from. The results mm -hmm. really came from focusing on, you know, building a system that you could work and optimize founded in really sort of, uh, you know, traditional strategies that were proven to work. That's where the real market leaders were emerging from, not from people who were chasing hacks or, you know, trying to, you know, game the algorithm. There you go. So uh, coming back to the book, you titled it, Are Your Leads Killing Your Business? Yeah. So how, how, how does that work? How can the business leads, prospective customers, sales opportunities actually kill your business? Yeah, it's it's a funny story. So, you know, in business, there's obviously an obsession with growth. Um, businesses are meant to grow like sharks uh, that we talked about earlier. They always have to be moving forward. Mm -hmm. um, and so that has led to this sort of obsession with I need more leads. I need more leads. I need more leads to grow. Um, but what I have seen uh, over the past couple of decades working with companies is uh, that if it's not the right leads, uh, it can actually be really detrimental to you. And, and the reason why is um, the, the wrong leads will, you know, sort of they're the worst customers in the marketplace uh, <laughs> and, and they will distract you from sort of building the products and solutions that the marketplace really wants. They'll mm -hmm. make you, you know, build for them. Uh, and then that pulls you further behind your competitors who are building for the market instead of building uh -huh. for one particular customer. Mm -hmm. Likewise, if you're, you know, sort of chasing leads, you don't have a system for attracting the right folks, mm -hmm. um, then you are you know, expending even more energy on trying to serve, you know, trying to chase those leads, trying to close those deals. When if you were going after the right folks, they'd be ready to they'd be ready to buy because they'd understand your value proposition and mm -hmm. they want to work with you. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas instead, when you're you know, sort of chasing the wrong leads, they take up even more of your resources and then. You know, after they've, you know, burned up a lot of energy just trying to, you know, get them to be a customer, then distracted you from your core business when they were customers, they don't renew and they don't grow and they don't <laughs> uh, serve as a referral or testimonial for you in the marketplace. Yeah. So that it becomes sort of this, uh, you know, death spiral mm -hmm. um, where you're uh, sort of chasing more and more uh, of the wrong uh quality of leads, which then sort of distracts your business and pulls you down. Meanwhile, your competitors that have systems to attract the right prospects, 
uh, and then systems to accelerate those prospects through the, the decision-making pipeline are growing because they're building the solutions that the marketplace wants. They're getting customers that are advocating for them in the marketplace. They're getting more and more renewals and upsells. And so you're, if you're not bringing in the right leads, your leads could be killing your business because they're pulling you further and further behind the market. There you go. And there's there's certain, you know, there's an adage that the customer is always right, but it depends on the customer, I think, and, and what they're up to. There are some very, uh, uh, I don't know what the right psychological term is, but there are some clients that you can do business that are very abusive. They don't really value your services. They just, they're just trying to, they, they have no win-win sort of mentality. Right. They're just, they're just trying to just strip you for everything you can. And I see a lot of people that do business with them, a lot of coaches and consultants and different things. My friends on Facebook sometimes complain about a client that they chose that turned into like a nightmare client. And, uh, and being able to identify those things, I'm really good at identifying those people up front. Uh, you know, they, they look every gift horse that comes across, you can offer them the best thing in the world and they'll still you know, have 5,000 questions. They'll want to get on like a two hour call. And, uh, and you're like, dude, if you can't, if you're not smart enough to recognize what we're offering here as a great deal, it, it, move along. I don't, I don't have right. time for you because those people will always be the ones that if you agree to do business with them, they will constantly drain you, pick at you, nickel and dime you. They will come up with, it, it, they're like, they're like, walking sabotage machines just like you talk about and they will sabotage your business and, and usually you you know if you're dumb enough to go do business with them you get halfway through and you just be like uh, you're fired if you're smart right. you, you know but usually if you're learning to recognize them up front like you say attract the right customers um you know one thing you seem to talk about a lot and you mentioned this is systems how important are systems because you know yeah. automation and 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 being able to have a system you know there's an old adage if you plan to fail or if you fail the plan you plan to fail yeah. Ooh, i didn't plan that uh quoting that right <laughs> I did actually, but uh, I'm old. Uh, so tell us about why systems like yours are important in, in building them. Yeah, for sure. So for for starters, you know, we do our best work when we can you know, follow a system that can be op optimized. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, without a system, even if you're an expert, you can have a bad day. Mm -hmm. uh, a system never has a bad day. Uh, and so if you can use a system to sort of hold yourself accountable to doing your best work, uh, then you'll you'll always do your best work. And uh, also by creating a system, then you see those opportunities to layer in technology, to layer in data, because it's part of an overarching strategy instead of it's the only you know sort of thing that you're doing. And so it, uh, it, it is the strategy and, and data isn't a strategy. Technology isn't a strategy. They're tools, they're tactics uh, that can be used to advance the strategy. The other thing that I find uh, with creating systems is not only does it you know help you do your best self, not only uh, does it help you sort of identify opportunities to optimize and get better, uh, but it creates a lot more harmony uh, and alignment within an organization. Because as a marketing leader, uh, if you can create a system and then people work that system, you don't have to come wag your finger at someone and say, you did a bad job. Instead, nah, it's, yeah. did you follow the system? Well, yes, I did. Well, then what? let's fix the system together. What's broken about the system? Mm -hmm. and you can really sort of empower your employees to, to do their best work. Uh, and it even becomes sort of part of their job description that they're working on improving the system. Mm -hmm. And then if they didn't follow the system, it's, 
well, is there something bad about the system that didn't fall that you you know aren't able to follow it, or did you veer away from what you sort of intended to do? And and so it it brings into sort of sharp relief, um, you know, really how to get better as an organization. Systems also sort of make it easy for you to not have sort of single person dependency. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of businesses, no one can go on vacation because there's just enough people to do the job and people aren't cross-trained. But when you have systems and and sort of documented systems in place, then someone can go on vacation and someone else can do that work. Or if they, you know, move on to a bigger opportunity or retire because the system is doing so, or the company is doing so well, you've now got a system in place that's going to continue to maintain that, that high performance. There you go. And now inside the book, you have a system called the five-step B2B growth framework and go-to market strategy let's tease a little bit out of that if we can people need to buy the book so they can get the deets but let's tease a little bit of that out yeah so you know i i when i was uh, first working on it um i i kind of was just sort of writing a playbook like to to tell businesses that i've been consulting with and people that i work with like here's the you know the nature of the world today uh and here's how we need to respond to it if we want to find success uh, and so I sort of wrote these things down. And then as I decided, like, man, I should kind of put this into a book. Might as well publish this. Uh, and so then someone I was talking with about the book was like, you know, like, go ahead and do the cute thing. Like, make a make an analogy around growth yeah. and use some plants. And, uh, like and like, so, so I did that and sort of uh, worked that framework within there. But the five steps are really, you know, first is tilling the right soil. So you create clarity by setting smart goals, getting your team together and and team alignment. Uh, Then the next is sort of planting the right seeds, Mm -hmm. uh, which is around sort of getting insight into who your audience is, what they care about, why you're the right solution. Mm -hmm. The real deliverable there is this sort of really differentiated positioning strategy. Uh, then you get into nurturing the growth of, of these seeds by you know fertilizing the marketplace with demand generation or getting people to sort of want solutions like yours. Mm-hmm. And then you water your seeds with lead generation where you're really sort of capturing that interest so you can have those one-to-one relationships with prospects. And then you sun your seedlings uh, with this sort of account-based marketing uh, and okay. really sort of sales actions that pulls them through. Then you get into hacking the weeds by focusing on and you know measuring the metrics that matter so that you can optimize success. And then you harvest and replant by uh, really sort of expanding uh, the growth of your best prospects. There you go. And and you know if uh, once again if you fail the plan, you plan to fail. And so having a strategy keeps you engaged. Uh, you know it's there's so many different distractions we have too uh, on everything we do. And and all all great businesses have systems. Any of my companies that I owned. You know, I was you, you focus on what's the system from customer entry point or lead entry point to final business transaction and where that goes from there and perfecting that system in between. And so that it just runs like a fine tuned machine and can get things done for you. So you act as a fractional CMO, I think, for companies. Tell us what that means for the layman out there who don't understand what that means and yeah, what, sure. what SaaS companies do. I mean, let's define that, lay a foundation for that if we could. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in the in the B2B space, so these are companies that <clears throat> build solutions for other companies. Uh, and, and oftentimes these solutions are, you know, software as a service. That's what SaaS stands for, which is, you know, fundamentally, it's, it's like a technology solution, but it's not sort of 
hard technology that you hold or that you install in your machine. It kind of lives in a cloud. And, and to use that technology, you need some service uh, to go along with it, to sort of train you and, and show you how to use it. That's really what SaaS companies do. Other And technologies uh, companies do something similar, but uh, maybe in some different formats. And then B2B services like, you know, advertising services or marketing agencies, ad tech, these companies are typically dealing with sort of pretty large contracts. So they might have you know, sort of a, a large uh, deal that they'll close that'll last like a year or even multiple year contracts. And whenever there's a large contract in the B2B space these days, there's a, a pretty complex committee of people that are going to uh, weigh in and evaluate. There's a decision maker whose you know team is going to use the solution. There's the you know person who's going to oversee the actual implementation of the solution and get a lot of the results. Oftentimes, there's a technical person that says, "Well, will this work with our data and our systems?" And so, all of those complex people mean that it's a long decision cycle. Uh, and so, this dynamic of you know, large contracts with a large complex buying committee and then a long uh, buying cycle. It has some specific needs to it. Uh, and so that's where I've developed a number of these systems to account to uh, sort of suit those needs specifically. And the sort of fractional CMO thing, what I have seen is, you know, a lot of businesses, someone's an industry leader, they see a way to do things better in their industry. So they go found a company to do that. And they build mm -hmm. a product and they uh, find a few of their initial customers or you know people that they knew in the industry, find that product market fit, replicate themselves with a sales leader and kind of go to market and, and get to that sort of $1 million mark or $2 million mark. And then they're like, well, how do I get to 10 or $20 million? And that's where they really need sort of executive leadership. It's hard though, to bring in a full-time CMO. CMOs are expensive, comes with some politics. They want equity. There's overhead costs of getting them a laptop and a desk and all those things. And uh, so as a fractional CMO, I can come in and provide all of that value without all of that overhead costs. And in fact, uh, I have what I call the, the 10x ROI B2B growth guarantee that I'll guarantee you'll see a 10x return on your investment with me uh, within six months because wow. I'm going to come in and be really focused on what's going to grow your business mm -hmm. rather than, well, you know, let me figure out what, you know, the office politics are and get to know everybody and uh, some of those other things. And that growth guarantee might be focused on, you know, building, hiring, training your team. Uh, it might be focused on, you know, just documenting and putting systems into place that we can then optimize. Uh, but because I'm focused really on delivering results, I can make that guarantee. Whereas a full-time CMO that might have a $250,000 a year price tag, you're probably not going to see a, a 10x ROI on that hire within the first six months. There you go. So in your book, you talk about a post-COVID framework in the title. That's right. Uh, what were the significant things that shifted in the business uh, post-COVID? Yeah. So um, a, a few things happened. So it's funny. Humans moved to this sort of desire for more connectivity. From Damn those lockdown. humans. Damn it. <laughs> so during lockdown, like we all felt isolated and we wanted to be, you know, a part of something. Uh, and, and, uh, but businesses saw the efficiency that came from not having that personal interaction uh, and moved to you know, many more Zoom calls and a lot less going to conferences and a lot less going on site to meet with clients. Uh, and so there's an interesting dynamic there of 
the the humans that are making these business decisions have one sort of desire, uh, but the business context has a different sort of framework. Um, and so um, there's this drive towards efficiency within the business space that means less human interaction. A lot of you know buyers have said you know, they would like to you know, not interact with a human at all. I want to be able to just essentially go online, see your pricing, inter- uh, yeah. see your pricing and, and then make a decision and then only interact with a human where I need it. Whereas a lot of B2B companies are, are very used to, you know, a, a company would start to evaluate solutions in your marketplace and they'd call you and be like, hey, so I'm evaluating solutions. What should I care about? What should I be looking for? And your salespeople would get a chance to, you know, really talk to them about what they were looking for, really understand their needs, and then talk about why their solution might be a good fit for their needs or not. And it was typically a consultative sale, but now because so much went online and went to a you know very matter of factual interaction uh, within the B2B space, you have to be influencing uh, this decision-making process independent of salespeople. Uh, and so you have to have the content that's going to really speak to the different stages of decision making from, well, do I need to solve this problem at all to, well, there are probably five ways to solve this problem. Which one's the right way for me? Well, I've decided to solve it this way. What are the best providers that solve it that way? Well, what's the difference between provider A, B and C? Whereas that used to be a conversation with a salesperson. Now it's done through content. Uh, and it's done through a lot of automated uh, behaviors that if you if you haven't adapted to that as a business, you're really being left behind. A lot of businesses, their approach to the marketplace is let's write a white paper once every quarter and let's put it on our website. And if you give us your email address, we'll give you the white paper. And uh, once we get that email address, it's a qualified lead. Uh, and then the salesperson starts talking to them. But 70 percent of the buyer's journey is done before they talk to a salesperson today. Wow. And so if you're not impacting that 70%, you're just getting left behind. You're left with only the worst customers. Uh, And that's how your leads can kill your business because the best customers, uh, the best providers have have understood. So those best customers are making decisions like this. We need to influence their decision-making like that. And so they're doing that. But if you're still stuck in these old school approaches, you're only left with sort of the, the worst uh, customers out there because they aren't willing to pay the premium to work with the best providers. Oh. Um, and so there you're left with those. That's the entry point. Yeah. That's very right. interesting. And and it makes sense because uh, you know, people that are smart, like, you know, I, I don't know that I'm that smart, but I can recognize value and right. maybe it's because I've always been a salesperson or maybe, uh, you know, like I, I used to, I, you know, I, I've, I've always, you know, uh, if if someone sells me, I'm probably a little bit more open to it and uh, a little bit more empathetic than if somebody yeah. doesn't. Unless you come door to door anymore, I don't deal with door to door anymore. I'm <laughs> nice. I'm nice and I'm polite on my ring, but I'll just be like, no, we're not interested. But uh, yeah, that's the one thing. Or I'm I'm just not going to take your pitch. Uh, but uh, you know, this is really important, and and I like how you mentioned the game has changed, and maybe a lot of people out here complaining about bad clients or toxic clients they get into this is a great lesson for them and so uh let's get into some of the teasers that we teased out sure. uh how the hell did you burn down in your customers business and why? <laughs> so one of the things that happens when you're not chasing a high quantity of terrible leads when uh-huh. you attract the right leads to your businesses you can give them the attention they deserve 
Mm -hmm. uh, and so you can really be customized in everything that you're, uh, you know, doing with that particular customer and really stand out, which is how you then win the business of your best uh, potential customers. But mm -hmm. sometimes those efforts to stand out are uh, a little ill-fated. So Survivor is still a, a pretty popular show, but yeah. uh, when it first came out, it was you know a behemoth. Like everyone talked about it at the water cooler every day. It it really sort of dominated uh, you know pop culture in some really interesting ways. Mm -hmm. So as part of a pitch that we were doing for uh, a company, we decided to uh, dress up in like you know pith helmets and, and dress like Jeff Probst, uh, and we had tiki torches. Uh, and we were going to come in and do this uh, story, you know, it, it sort of blended into the pitch about, you know, you know being the last one on the island uh, and surviving. So we went into the lobby and we said, we're here to see so-and-so. Okay, we'll let them know you're here. And so we all lit up our tiki torches. And I don't know if you know this, but tiki torches actually make a little more black smoke than you wish they did. Uh -huh. uh, and we were standing right under a fire detector. And so within a few minutes, the fire alarm went off, the sprinklers went, went off. We didn't wind up burning the building down, but we did cause it to evacuate. <laughs> and so then we sheepishly are in the parking lot, see the, the buyer that we're there to uh, meet with. And we're like, so we're the reason that uh, you had to evacuate your building today. Uh, but we explained, look, your business means enough to us that we wanted to really, you know, sort of customize and they were forgiving enough to then listen to the pitch. Uh, and, uh, and then we actually wound up closing the business. So there you go. Uh, but it was one of those things that if we were just pumping through a high volume of, uh, of leads and, mm -hmm. and not sort of picking out those really well qualified and uh, those high value uh, you know, ideal customers, we wouldn't have, you know, yeah. had the opportunity to really customize it. Nah, maybe we wouldn't have, you know, set off the fire alarm, but maybe we would have never gotten around to really giving that customer the time they deserved. There you go. Well, I mean, you know, effort, uh, you know, in the old days, I, I always used to, I would go out uh, for a company and visit, uh, you know, these, these industrial places and you'd have to talk to the buyer for the big industrial stuff. And yeah. uh, there's always the two or three gatekeepers that were like, you know, they were, they were, uh, you know, you, you couldn't get by them, you know, no matter how much you, how many flowers you bought or candy or, you know, whatever, right. and you, you know, it was a whole game, but, uh, that's a great way to maybe get the buyer to meet you is, is you just, uh, set off the fire alarms and then he, <laughs> then he comes out and, and he has to talk to you because you're just standing away in the parking lot waiting for all the stuff to dry. Uh, tell us about the hundred cakes, the time you bake a hundred cakes. Sure. So uh, a similar kind of exercise, but this was actually um, a, a product launch for a company uh, where they had realized that their best customers were at ad agencies. Mm -hmm. um, and so and, and their competition wasn't really focusing on these ad agency prospects. I don't know if you have much experience with working with folks at ad agencies, but they tend to work long hours mm -hmm. uh, and they don't get to leave their desk. So food is always a valuable uh, sort of asset there. Mm -hmm. And so uh, by identifying that their best prospects and ideal customers were at ad agencies, we actually timed a press release uh, to, you know, sort of hit the hit the web at a certain time. And we timed a personalized cake uh, 
uh, to be delivered to every one of these ad agencies uh, with a link to the press release talking about how our service was specifically designed to work well for ad agencies and different from everyone else in the marketplace that was trying to cut the ad agencies out of the uh, equation and go direct to brands. Uh, and so when that arrived, uh, along with the uh, press release, and then we had a call campaign that immediately hit those people within 15 minutes of the cake being delivered uh, to sort of say, did you get the cake? Did you see the press release? Can we tell you about how we're, you know, sort of uh, perfectly suited uh, to, uh, you know, delivering for your services? Uh, it made a real big impact. Uh, and you know, sure. their, their competitors were spending a ton of money on like, you know, big glossy ads and you know, trade shows and really dominating a lot of the industry conferences. And this company really couldn't sort of compete with that level of spend. So we had to be a little more aggressive and a little more guerrilla by finding that you know, really niche audience uh, that we could serve better than the competitors. And then by crafting our messaging to really sort of speak to them and then take it to them in a, a really neat fashion, we actually doubled their revenues uh, in, in less than 90 days with no additional ad spend. Wow. Uh, all those cakes were paid for with stuff that they had been spending on. Well, all of our competitors are at this conference. We got at least, you know, buy a banner. Yeah. Uh, and rather than uh, wasting that money to be, well, we're also here. We made a really big difference and, and stood out in a way that uh, took them to their first half million a, a month that they'd ever experienced. There you go. That is brilliant. It's a lot of cake, but uh, it's a lot it's of brilliant. cake. But you know, if you feed people, you know, we used to throw pizza parties for uh, some of our clients. Uh, but uh, there you go. Uh, so, how do people do business with you? Who are your clients? Uh, that you that work best with you, you know, size size. Yeah. What, what is their size and, and what is their spend? Maybe or however you format that. And then, how do they onboard with you? For sure, yeah. So or reach out uh, to you to onboard. Again, I, I work pretty much exclusively with B two B companies uh, mm -hmm. that are experience those long sales cycles, complex buying committees for large contracts. That's really where I add the most value because that's where my expertise lies. Mm -hmm. uh, and and typically. When they get to about a million or two million a year in revenues, that's when they really value some external expertise. So that's where I add the most value. Uh, and then once they get up to about 20 million in revenues, they should have a full time uh, CMO on board. And so, uh, but I can set up the sort of people processes, technology, those systems, so that when they do hire that full time CMO, uh, they can, you know, hit the ground running. Uh, and mm -hmm. really catapult to the, the 100 million in revenues uh, rather than just trying to get everything together. So that's sort of who I work with. The, the way to engage with me, you know, again, as I said, this 10x B2B uh, growth ROI guarantee where I will pretty much guarantee that within six months, you'll get a 10x return on your investment with us. Wow. Uh, and, and the reason we can make that guarantee is because we're using systems that create a lot of leverage, uh, we mm -hmm. can really identify the, the biggest opportunity. And, and sort of the, the first place that uh, people engage with us is, um, you know, let, let's do a 30 minute call. See if I've got the, you know, the expertise that you need uh, and, to, and sort of the, to solve the problems that you have. If we do, we'll do another free strategy session. We'll spend an hour together really sort of talking about what you're, um, what you're trying to do, what your current blockers are. I'll come up with some ideas for you uh, that at, at the very least you'll walk away with some, some interesting ideas. And then pretty often at that point, we'll do what we call our sort of half day collaboration session. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And I'll spend two weeks auditing all of your marketing uh, as, as part of your business that sort of exists today. And we'll come up with a 90 day bulletproof marketing strategy that I know will make a 10 X impact on your business at the end of that half day. And then you can go and do that on your own. Or if you need some help implementing that in your business, then I can be uh, there to help you on an ongoing basis. There you go. There you go. And they can reach onto your website and do a number of things uh, where they can uh, click for services brochure, schedule a free consultation. Um, you offer different things like half-day B2B growth strategy sessions, fractional B2B CMO partners, B2B revenue advisors, and some different case studies people can look at there where they can check out your services. So this has been really insightful. I was looking at your LinkedIn. And I noticed uh, you talk about some different tie-ins with Barbie and how to hijack. I call it hijacking when people, right? Uh, you know, take a marketing concept and hijack it. There's, I, I think you call it newsjacking. Barbie newsjacking works in B two B marketing. Let's tease that out a little bit for the uh, for the fun SEO of Barbie, the Barbie movie. For sure. I guess we're newsjacking yeah, at this point. <laughs> that's right. Well, and so you know, one of the things that that I've actually done a lot. So we talked about you know, that your buyers aren't engaging your salespeople uh, mm-hmm. very early. So you need to be where your buyers are. Uh, mm-hmm. And oftentimes they're they're interested in topics that, you know, are impacting, you know, pop culture. Uh, and, you know, the we talked about the, the human aspect of, of the B2B buyer, the actual person there. Uh, when you really understand that person by building out a persona or an avatar of who your buyers are, you can understand the content that they care about. Uh, and so, for example, if your customer is the type of person that's interested in Barbie for whatever reason, you know, mm-hmm. they, uh, you know, tie into the themes of the movie or they just, you know, like movies or uh, whatever it might be, creating content that talks about how your business fits in with that is going to get it on their radar. It'll give them that hook. Uh, that will then uh, give you enough time to then talk a little bit about your business so that now you're creating, you're generating some demand uh, for your type of solution. And so, you know, a common thing that people did, you know, with the Barbie thing was talk about how Barbie was marketed as a way of, you know, talking about how, you know, that pertains to their business uh, mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. That's that sort of newsjacking idea. Yeah. And I mean, you, when you, when you hype on stuff like that, you know, everyone's searching for it, you know, there's, there's lots of hype around the movie. I think the movie's broken a billion and it'll probably do really well. That's right. I mean, I don't know why someone didn't do this movie beforehand. I mean, uh, women from, I think, I don't know if Barbie started before my generation, but you know, we grew up with GI Joe's and girls had Barbies sure. and, and I mean, that was, uh, I'm old. So, uh, that was like 40 years ago that I was a kid, 45 years ago that I was a kid. And, uh, and, and so all these generations of women have grown up with Barbie. Like, why not make a Barbie movie? Like, duh, that seems like a big duh. I don't know. It, it's funny. I, I saw a, an interesting article. So um, my wife actually has her own agency, too, and she works with a lot of the movie studios as clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so we pay attention to, you know, variety and a lot of the a lot of the stuff around movies. And they were saying that a lot of people are taking away the wrong lesson from Barbie. The lesson isn't we should make more movies about toys. The lesson is we need more movies about women by women uh, that tell, you know, sort of women centric stories, uh, which Mm -hmm. I thought was a really sort of interesting perspective and lens uh, through which to, to look at, you know, what makes a movie a phenomenon. Yeah. 
It, it's you know, I mean, it's it's, it's kind of funny too. It, I, I guess they addressed it in the movie. I didn't see the movie, but yeah, definitely newsjacking. I love that. I call it hijacking, but I gotta I sure. gotta start using newsjacking because the FBI calls me every time I say hijacking, <laughs> and that's never good. Um, but uh, you know, especially if, don't. I'm just not gonna do an all Akbar joke. Uh, but anyway, there you go. Uh, so any final thoughts as we go out? You want to share with the audience? Yeah, I, I mentioned this at the beginning, but uh, again, just for your audience and, and exclusively for your audience, anyone that wants a copy of the book, uh, I, I'm going to make 100 copies available. Uh, so just go to mar modernrevenuestrategies.com slash free download, uh, and they can get a copy of the book there. Again, I'll send some free videos and training, uh, as well as some uh, templates for the first 100 people that download that, uh, but happy to provide it and you know, happy to answer any questions. As I said, the the first 90 minutes is free. Uh, and so I'm happy to, you know, sort of add value. And uh, I love learning about businesses and thinking about ways that they can grow. And so uh, my favorite part of, of the job is, is really sort of getting to know, you know, entrepreneurs and sales leaders, you know, CEOs that are trying to grow businesses and help them come up with uh, creative ways to do that. Definitely. And especially if you can identify bad, bad customers from good, higher quality people that value your services. I mean, I've had customers uh, for our companies that have been with us for 10, 15 years um, and from the very beginning and they're loyal as hell. Uh, they're great people and they value what you do and they stick yeah. with you because they value what they do. And, you know, they get approached all the time by uh, competitors and hopefully if you built a good enough system like what you've taught taught about and, and, and talked about is is they can't leave your system because they're addicted to such a great system. Right. Um, you know, they, they look at other people's and they're like, no, this, you know, you know, Chris got me tied up. I mean, we never had contracts for our early companies at all, but we would keep customers for 10 to 15 years because uh, we were just so good at what we did and our services were so good at what they did. No one could compete with us. And, and we'd innovate a lot of our systems and, and, and that makes all the difference, you know, a comfortable client who doesn't have to think about, you know, babysitting your inability to, you know, have a good system and, and do your job right and stuff. They love that. And so, you know, we used to, our one company, Silver Street Express, we used to call the big, uh, the, the company you know about, but you never see. Um, because we would have a overnight uh, service and delivery system uh, that was unlike any anyone else, and huh. it, it serviced our clients. I think I wrote about my book, Beacons of Leadership. Anyway, uh, thanks for coming on the show, Mark. We really appreciate oh, yeah, it. Chris. it was there a real you go. Pleasure. Give us a dot com again, so people can find that on the interwebs, please. As we close sure. modernrevenuestrategies.com. There you go. Order up the book, folks. Uh, on top of that, uh, wherever fine books are sold, are your leads killing your business? A post-COVID framework proven to attract, accelerate, and activate the right clients to double your pipeline and revenues in 90 days for SaaS tech and B2B service firms. Available April 6, 2023. Uh, thanks, to for tuning in. As always, go give us a five-star review over there on iTunes. We certainly love you guys when we do, and we should read them on the show. They're so lovely, and they warm my heart, and I feel touched, and I just I just curl up with a, a, a couple of them in the bed at night and just go, oh, people love me. They like me. What is that old uh, SNL skit? Anyway, uh, go to goodreads.com, forwards, LinkedIn.com, forwards, YouTube.com, forwards, Voss. See, we're doing over on Chris Voss 1 on uh, TikTok. Uh, we're starting to make some traction over there. Even though we're old, decrepit, and, and we smell like dusk, according to the kids. 
<laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. We'll see you next time. And that should